Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. I am Scott Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? Had an awesome time at World's Toughest Mudder, even though it was freezing cold towards the night. It was an awesome learning experience, and uh, man, everybody should do it at least once, you know. But I met a really cool guy there, and I heard about him on the Running Public and Obstacle Running Adventures, he recent episode where Mike was talking to him pre-World's Toughest Mudder, and it was a really cool conversation, and it made me keep my eyes out for him while I was on course. And then I met him at the brunch, and he was a super cool dude, and I thought he'd be great to have on the podcast. But uh, here's the interview with Anthony Kunkel. Anthony Kunkel, what's going on today, brother? Nothing much, man. Visiting visiting some family on the way back from, from World's Toughest Mudder and making my way slowly back to the mountains. So where, where's your family at? I have a, I have some, some siblings and a mother in Tennessee, and my dad's up in Ohio. Oh, what part of Tennessee? There, there's mountains where I am right now. At least I'm eastern Tennessee, so it's all right. But, man, I'm telling you, the, the whole world outside Durango is cloudy and bleak. Every time I leave, I don't see the sun until I get back home. Right. So what, what part of Tennessee is that, like the, around the Smokies or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I'm way, way northeast right now. Um, Johnson City. Oh, yeah, I know where that's at. I go to Gatlinburg every yeah. year, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty far up here. Yeah, well, sweet, man. Well, dude, I know a little bit about you. I, I listened to your interview on the Running Public and Obstacle Running Adventures that you did right before you went to World's Toughest Mudder. I know you live in Durango. Uh, I know that you ha- you host people up there at your place, and they train with you, and you do it as kind of like a you know kind of like a way of making a living, but you don't really charge anything, man. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm okay with endurance commune as a as a nice label that I think everybody would understand immediately what that meant. So, you know, you 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 donate what you can, and you stay as long as you'd like. And I, I think I kind of just put this together that having training partners would be great. I think the best athletes in the world are all training seriously with, with you know, a team full of threatening human beings one way or another, no matter what the sport is. And so surrounding myself with, with some like-minded people would be good. And I just kind of put it together slowly that I've already contrived this whole life for myself so that I can, you know, optimize my own performance and to share that with the whole world adds a lot to it and I can do that for you know the cost of a little bit of extra propane and electricity for for 90 percent of it right and then as I got more and more traction with with just offering people that like hey just come live my life with me and you'll pick up some good stuff and you know I hopefully you'll share some good stuff one way or the other no matter no matter what that is whether that be performance or somebody that is confident doing roofing or something, something, you know, proper commune stuff of just throw me what you can. And, you know, if you got a big boy job, big girl job, you can throw me a few hundred bucks or something. That's, that's always, that goes a long way as well, but just kind of opened it up to whatever people wanted to bring. And, and as long as you're passionate and 
take your life seriously but not yourself seriously, then then I think it clicks there. And from there, it's just kind of expanded into what it is now. I'm, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm at the reins. I kind of feel like I'm a participant in this. You know, I'm, I'm one more person who just happens to live at the Old Trails Durango and having founded it or started it or whatever is kind of, we had a lot of fight club references throughout <laughs> the last summer of just like, yeah, if anybody gets in the way of the mission of Old Trails Durango, you need to castrate them by force, myself included. <laughs> it's like that proper fight club reference of like, it's not me, you know, it's, it's bigger than me. Right. And so, yeah, if I need to be taken out, then I need to be taken out. And I'm just kind of letting that form into, into whatever it needs to be. And then more formalized camps have been a lot of fun. So we did Project Mayhem. You know, that's, that's what sparked a lot of the Fight Club references. And I had people walking into my local coffee shop and saying, Mr. Kunkel, <laughs> nodding to me and stuff. And, uh, yeah, just, just having a blast being, being quirky characters. But that was a chance to really say, hey, guys, you know, with six-month notice or three-month notice, we're going to do this proper big camp. Like, come here, train, peak training. We'll show you everything great around here. You can use the saunas in the house every day. You can stay here. If, you know, if you have money, throw us a few hundred bucks. If you don't, throw us nothing. You know, you can you can do labor, whatever it is, but I'm going to have a trigger point guy here. We're going to do holotropic breath work and, and trip balls and cry all over each other. You know, we're going to do a sound healing. Like, there, there will be all the stuff that you expect if you follow me enough will all be available at this house so that you can use. And that goes for sponsor product to be able to try these things that I, I endorse. I mean, earnestly endorse, not like they, they pay me to say that I like them, but like stuff that I couldn't do what I do without. And that's a really cool place to be for, for everyone involved, I like to think. And so that's really what it's leaning, what it's kind of morphing more and more into is, is these proper camps. So the next one is January, what is it, January it's late January to early February right. and it'll cover the, the week of Snowdown Durango, which is the biggest festival in town. And it's loads of local music, loads of local beer, loads of local, like low key, aggressively athletic events, like uh, a treadmill challenge where it's two, it's two people enter, you know, head to head and, and one person gets to win. And it's, it's a, you know, five minutes head to head at 15% incline as much vertical feet as you can, as you can amass in five minutes. Oh, that and sounds so, cool it, to watch. you know, a few years ago, Jason Schlarb, who, who tied Killian at Hard Rock, and I tied for the treadmill challenge, except that we tied for fifth place. And, like, <laughs> we both took it pretty seriously, and we're both good. So it's like, what the heck? So you get these crazy athletic events, and that, it's my favorite holiday of the year. And so I want to show off the best that Durango has to offer. It's awesome to be down there in the high desert in the winter when there's snow everywhere and the sun's blasting and the road's clear, and the trails are so high use because the town's so fit that the – you can wear road shoes in the in the winter on a lot of these trails because it's just perfect carpet. And I'm leaning more and more into that of, like, formalized camps. Here's the week. Here's the dates. I'm a total shit show with my ability to manage said <laughs> things. But, uh, it, you know, ev- everything will happen. The itinerary is floating around already. And leaning more and more into camps like that because then that, that makes it a little more formal for people. And then the people that really click, shoot, man, you can stay there for – a week or a month or, you know, throw an extra weekend on that camp. And, and for some people it'll be an escape and a little, a little traincation as we call them. Right. But for some people it'll, it'll just, they'll just be taking notes the whole time. And we've had painters and, and, um, body workers and, um, yeah, uh, two different nature photographers and just people that just want to be there to, to just explore their own little monk mode as I, as I call it and dive deep down whatever their craft is and be around a bunch of people who 
get that, who understand that. And I think that's, that really, really warms my heart. And I'm in a world of things that I'm not sure what's real and what matters and kind of suspect of myself. It's really good to have something that feels like this is right. I don't know what, I don't know why, but this is right. I think I'm going to take this and run with it. Right. So, I mean, and, and that's, what's kind of cool too is, is like, you're just letting these people come and chill. If you got money, you know, you can donate. If not, you know, whatever you're skilled at, you can help around, you know, your compound as you call it, man. And I just think that's really cool. And I mean, and it's open for anybody, not just the, the top, you know, lead or whatever, man. I just think that's really cool that you're throwing that out there. But uh, to give people yeah, like I think, an... I think I've said it. I've said it before. I have this idea of the the athlete as an artist that you're you're creating something that hasn't been seen before, right? I mean, you're you're doing things that normal people can't do right. or won't do, and you owe those people to to distill what you get out of that. And if there's value for them, then they can take it. They don't need to put in 140 miles a week to mm. be able to to know how to how to how to engage with their body more enjoyably, right? That that's the idea. It's not that that everybody has to spend 10,000 hours doing something. Hopefully we can all use our, our wonderful human word and kind of transmit some of these things to each other. That's what I'm after. And people that understand that on the elite level, you know, like DJ that won this weekend, mm-hmm. that's, that's who I want to surround myself by. And, you know, I, at this point I have, they're, they're as good of athletes as me around me and they're, they're better human beings than I am. And that's a really, really good place to be for me. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things when you surround yourself with better people, you become better as well, you know? It's kind of like it picks you up. So, man, before we, you know, kind of get into World's Toughest Mudder, I want you to kind of explain to people that don't know who you are, you know, you found running, like, after high school and everything, like, you didn't grow up doing this, but just tell people, like, what some of your achievements are and some of your results are and some races that you've done really well on. So people will just get an idea of how fucking fast you are. <laughs> yeah, man, I've, I've, I'm not talented at running. I mean, that's, that's one thing. Like I think the part of the draw with OCR is that I'm talented at OCR. Like, you know, I, I did a three week block and I can kind of hold my own. Like right. that's, that's what talent looks like. Running has taken so much for me to just for me to be you know an elite runner who's like i also ran elite runner right like i'm not i'm not crushing everything right but that that said i've i've won a 50 mile national championship and a 100 kilometer national championship both on the roads and that was in the same that was six months apart in the same you know bid to get myself onto team usa which is under the ioc the international olympic committee Right to run the 100K World Champs, and that was in Croatia that year, and that was a huge stretch goal for me, for for quite a few years. It was about halfway through high school where I decided this is something that I want to spend as much time as I can doing and talking about and learning and reading about and being about. Right, and so I went to school for exercise science, and I didn't run in college. I was already kind of like getting free body work on the side and, mm-hmm. and winning a little bit of prize money here and there, and kind of chasing chasing this ultra running dream. Right. And so opted out of the, the standard route, and yeah, it's it's just it's been a whirlwind. I mean, I have a few course records around. I, I have a, I have a lot of wins floating around, but the the really corner of sport that that tends to be what I would say is like my bread and butter is, is about five hours or so, five to six hours. There's really nobody, you know, on, on a given weekend. There's nobody that I have to fear over a race that's that many hours, 
and that that could that could be a 50k in the mountains or that could be a 50 miler on the pavement you know it really is just a matter of, of the hours spent on on your legs and being just reckless enough and being just fast enough and just durable enough that's kind of a good sweet spot for me right so and so, so what's like your pr for like a 50 mile or so, 100k yeah what's your pr for a 50 mile and 100k I I slit. I mean, I guess my hundred k PR was from twenty eighteen. Still, I haven't. It's hard to find flat, fast ones to do it at. So when you get right. them, you got to be right when you're on the day. Yeah. And that was a race. I mean, we went we went through fifty k and three. I saw somebody's report from it just whatever earlier this week. Went through fifty k and three sixteen. Went through fifty miles in five twenty flat or five nineteen thirty somewhere right around there. Five hours and in 20 minutes through 50 miles and then just everyone else went to went to crap and, and like dropped out and and died and just jogged it in for for the last you know three victory laps or whatever it was on this 5k loop right for 650 i think it was low, low 650 for for 100k and so yeah i mean those, those, that's a pretty solid lineup i went 255 20 or 255 30 over 50 kilometers last year damn and that was that was a good confidence builder because I've been kind sure. of <laughs> dabbling with the marathon. I I had written it off because I, I figured, you know, you have to be talented to run an Olympic trials qualifying marathon. Right. And th- there's there's just no way around it. Like I can grind, I can train with people, I can put in volume, but the speed is just you know my my five k PR isn't isn't really any faster than my ten k PR, and my half marathon PR, the last two PRs I've set in the half have been during a full marathon. And so I just don't, I, I, I can go all freaking day at 540 to 550 pace mm. and certainly all day at 615 pace. But the second you start getting down to like 525, 525, 15, it right. gets on borrowed time real quick. And so that's the next kind of frontier for me. And that's what I've been leaning into is, is the marathon and a half just to see it's, it's a, it's a testament to all the crazy stuff that I do to myself to try to see if I can't if I can't fake a little bit more talent out of this. And I've also accepted thanks to some of my training partners that are, you know, a sub four miler and, and a, you know, a low 13, five K runner that I'm, I'm more talented than I give myself credit for. You know, it's, it wasn't like raw, ridiculous talent as an 18 year old kid, but the durability alone, it lets me train and that it's, it's kind of coming out. So I want that freaking Olympic trials qualifying time in the marathon. So I need 26.2 miles at five fifteen average. And that's what I'm chasing now for the next 13 months until I get it. So we we don't know. Come on. We don't want to hear that, man. We want to see a prepared second round of you coming back to World's Toughest Motor. I think that's what everybody wants to see, man. Dude, I'm, I'm all ears on how I do it. The catch is, like, I can go to a road marathon and have a have a sponsor cover my airfare and have another sponsor cover half my airfare and then have the race throw me 300 bucks and a free entry and a hotel. And the next thing you know, it's like, I'm coming home with like 500 bucks or more. And it doesn't even matter how I race. Whereas WTM was, it was a big financial stretch for me. I'm you sure. know, as established, I chose the vagrant lifestyle. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fussing about this at all. Like I, right. I love the lifestyle that I live, but it's, it's a big, big swing for somebody that manages to live on zero dollars to have to, have to front all of that instead of being able to just get you know you get you get used to elite bibs and, and a little bit of support right but um i i will say i'm scrambling right now to find where will i get my trials qualifying standard in the marathon as quickly as possible 
as soon as possible. So I'm going to run the half marathon in Houston. That's a flat, fast one. We'll see how quick I can go. If I'm, if it looks good, then I'll stack a few more halves and I'll run grandma's marathon in June. Mm-hmm. And best believe if I can get it done in June, then it's off the radar. I don't need to be in CIM in December. And that means November is then free to get a little bit jacked and a little bit burly and get, get back out the world's toughest mutter. So I, I have every intention of, you know, a, a few high pressure conversations with sponsors to make sure that I don't starve before then. Right. <laughs> but I would, I would love to get back because it was a few very simple things to, to fix. And, um, I, I'd love to see if I have, if, if it's as simple as I think it is still, because I, I swore it would be easy and it was easy. <laughs> it just wasn't easy for, it was easy for half of what I wanted, you know? Right. And I had a, I had the, the first, the first dude in my life mentor figure that actually trained with a full-time Kenyan training team told me when I was about 15 or 16 that, you know, it, it's not, it's not a half marathon to a marathon. That's not twice as much. It's, it's a lot less than that, which is the opposite of what everybody says in the ultra world. You know, at the finish line or at the award ceremony, Matt B. Davis said, well, you know, you know, a hundred miler is like three times a 50 miler. And I, I, I tried to respectfully as possible disagree with him because I, I think it's just apples and oranges, man. But my, this, this Kenyan figure in my life said, you have to be able through a thick accent. You have to be able to finish a half hmm. marathon and not feel tired. If you're wrecked after a half, then then don't don't even don't even play with the marathon yet. And I think I agree with that. The wisdom of that has has bore has it, it's it's bared so much fruit over the years that I think doing sixty miles or sixty five miles or whatever it was and being happy and supple and healthy and smiling and and throwing people up over things and having fun and just like trying an obstacle again and then taking the penalty anyway, like instead of just like trying to be as efficient as possible, but, but really having fun out there. Right. That's 80% of the way to my outside goal. Right. That's not 50% of the way there. That's mm-hmm. most of it because I, I've proved that it's possible to myself and to anybody watching, but not just that it's possible, but that it, it'll be smooth. It'll be easy. And I know a few people hated that wording, but it's like the best performances of my life have been easy. You know, that's the flow state that, that people like me are really chasing. That's the, that's the spiritual aspect of running is, is where it is effortless. I'm not interested in gritting my teeth and getting anything done. I don't, I don't care. That holds very little value to me. You know, well, what if you had paced it easy and just done 115 miles? I don't care. Like I, I, I want it to be, I don't want it to be gritty. I want it to, I want to have fun. I want to leave the watch at home and, and that's, that's how I want to do it. You know? Yeah, so I was listening to your your interview on Obstacle Running Adventures, and you were talking about, and I, I mean, and I didn't know you besides listening to your interview on running on the the Running Public podcast, and I was like, this is just some cool guy, you know, he lives in Durango, you know, he trips out and runs and trains all the time, right? And it was like it was a different person I heard on Mike's interview. You know, you sounded cocky, and you're like, "I'm going to get this. It's going to be done. This is what I'm going to do." And I was like, "Man, this guy's pretty sure of himself." And then you're like, "But and I, I'm probably not going to use a wetsuit." And I'm like, "This guy's talking some talk, and I want to see this." And and I got to see a lot of it. And it was like I was telling you, like me and my buddies, we ran together. We didn't have no goal in mind. We were just kind of taking it easy, kind of zone two, zone three pace. And dude, you you passed us at the same point within probably, you know, a tenth of a mile every lap, you know. So you were like doubling our pace. 
And it, it was like right around that Dingleberry's obstacle and then right be- before that first rig, you know, we would always see you there, you know. And it was just cool to just watch you work, man, because you were just like running fast as shit, man. And you looked so efficient and you weren't slowing down for like the first four laps I saw you. I think I saw you the first four or five laps and then I didn't see you anymore because that was when I think we went in and started putting on more gear and we got different we got in different rotation then of how we were coming around but man it was just yeah, that, that would have been wise for me to do the same <laughs> <laughs> so and that's and i was telling the guys i was running with i was like that's the dude that's the dude right there that says you know he's gonna do this he's not gonna wear a wetsuit man and dude we were just watching it unfold man and i mean it was and it was awesome and i was even looking at results when i went in after i got cold and i was like man the dude was fucking crushing it until he got to this point and i knew i was like he must have just got too cold man and but it was like a beautiful disaster but you know i'm sure it was just an awesome learning experience for you as well but i was looking at your results you know today and like this was like a probably like five and a quarter mile loop. It wasn't five. And your first lap was sub 30. And then your first six laps were sub 45 minutes. You finished 50 miles in seven hours and 44 minutes. And that's when all the obstacles are probably almost open by that time, dude. That's just fucking killer, man. I mean, you're talking about the first eight hours of a 24-hour race, and you done put in 50 fucking miles, man. Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, that's I, I, I said it going into it. It's like the, the reality is that somebody could do 140. So, like, we, we need to let go of this, like, you know, people that are like, this guy's, this guy's being disrespectful to the sport by even saying that 125 is possible. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I wouldn't think Somebody that. is going to run a lot a lot of miles i think you should respect the the race organization and your your fellow people out there and yourself and your dreams and your goals but you owe the miles no respect the miles aren't going to respect you you owe them no respect and you you just you never know i i think the the world is full of stories of people that were too naive to know that what they were doing was impossible and i'm trying to hold on to as much of that as i possibly can right now and it's it is a tough pacing thing because the obstacles do they're they're open on a roving basis or a staggered basis, and so it's hard to know you know once once I slow down, it might suck and I might really slow down. But if I'm only slowing down to the pace that everyone else is already running, big whoop, right? And it's right. Like once the obstacles are all open, you can't you're not limited by your heart rate or your running economy anymore. You're right. Just, you just need to stay moving, and right. then you can eat and drink and take care of yourself. And so that's, that does make it real, real tough to know what optimal pacing actually is. And so um, it's, you know, I like, like the wetsuit thing. I think it's, it's less cocky to, to me. I think like Matt B. Davis might have implied that I was, and, and we're, we're bros at this point, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to misquote him on this, but it's like the, that it's, it's cocky to think that 125 is, is smooth and easy and a sure thing, and it is if I was doing it the same way that everyone else was doing it. So it's like, you have to either say you're a fool for rejecting the wisdom or you're a fool for thinking that it's possible to do something that's 10% more than anybody else has done. Because if you could just do it differently, there, you know, that's another one that we have a lot of that, you know, think about 
like high jump, right? Everyone was scissor kicking over, and then you had the flop, and suddenly all the high jump records get shattered because somebody went over backwards, and everyone said, well, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? And now everybody does it. Right. I think there's a few things like that that OCR is ripe for, and you're going to need somebody that's willing to blow up to show the world that it's that there's something else to do out there, and that's that was my role this year, man. I, I felt I felt great. Had I not had Josh and DJ and Kelly's success to to, to back in one way or the other, I I wouldn't have been at liberty to risk blowing up. If it was just me and my crew, then I would have had to take care of myself and, and be mature and, and do what I do what I really believed would work, or what everybody told me would work instead of being able to play out there. Yeah, and so. And I, and I saw that you did the Dallas Infinity first, and you got, what did you get, like 60 miles and was it like six hours or well, was it 60K? It's in, it's in kilometers, yeah. So yeah. I, did the, I did the Seattle Infinity. It was like, I think it was two weeks after right. marathon season. I kind of just said, man, I'm burned out. You know, it was everything I had to run 222 marathon pace at this weight with the power data and like it's all these numbers and all this data and all this like god it's, it's everything right like it, it's fun and it's nerdy and it's biohacky but i don't like all that data like yeah. some runners just love all that shit and i don't and so like the writing was on the wall all right you weigh a buck 32 you need to be a buck 27 and you will olympic marathon trials qualify period right. there's nothing else to change there's no shoes to add there's no nutrition there's no there's there's no no secret formula at this point not that i'm willing to go down and so it's like, do I really want to do that right now for CIM in early December? It's like, no, I don't. And I kind of had this realization, you know, 48 hours after my last race, which was mid to late September, my last road race, that, yeah, like I want to do world's toughest. I want to do it with DJ and Josh. Let's, let's do this thing. And so then I just, I'm scrambling and I'm like, well, how do I qualify? How do, <laughs> how do I get a leaky better status? And so it was, it might even been a week. I think it was two weeks after that. So I did a few sets of pull-ups and said, screw it, let's go find out. You know, at least I've looked at all these things, and I'm right. like that 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 neural that like mental grooving of everything, and so it it'll be fine. I'll figure it out. I'll learn a ton, and I'll see what's worth my training time and what is probably a burden hand already. Right. And so went out to Seattle and did 65k in 6:27, and was like all alone, way out front, having a blast. And then and you know jogged off the course. It was fine, and then came out in Dallas after a full training block and Dallas was biblical. I mean, they canceled some of the events. It was apocalyptic, man. They canceled some of the weekend hmm. stuff. Some of the obstacles were all flooded and, and, and weighted down with water and like cage crawl was the middle few cages were underwater. Oh, so like shit. I stuck my head under and just waterboarded myself. Like I couldn't, I had pushing my face out of the fence and it's like the water's died. You can't open your eyes. And it's like, that scared the shit out of me, man. I already am averse to water. Right. <laughs> so, good like, times, good times. I mean, I'm still like traumatized from that. And I could feel it every time I stuck my head under the water at, at WTM, but that, that bothered me something deep in me to, to get that close to drowning like that. And mm. so, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was a hell of a time. And so instead of insisting on the 65 K that I wanted again, I just called it 60 K and six fourteen or six fifteen or 12 or whatever it was. So a little faster, for 5k less but but a little slower for the average pace right. but still another almost yeah, 40 miles on just a, what would be a freak you know 40 80 120 pace that would be a monster pace and knowing that i was gonna have a few laps without obstacles it's like all right the writing's on the wall i could run 120 to 130 miles probably without any drama 
on the right course on the right day with the right conditions. Right. So let's just let's just assume that that's possible and go out there. And that was the only experience of obstacle horse racing that I have. Okay, so you've done these two races and World Surface Motors coming up, and you've you've already made the decision that you know you were going to try to just kind of layer up, not use a wetsuit. You weren't going to wear a watch. What was your game plan? You know for the whole period of the race did you have like i'm going to do this until this doesn't work and then i'm going to lean this way like what was the game plan i i wanted that sprint lap kind of just for the for the testosterone boost for that bright green bib so that people can people can see that i'm out there hammering before they give out leader bibs i felt like seeing i felt like i saw dj get a little a little more shafted last year because people didn't realize that he was crushing because he wasn't in third place until the, until the finish line. Right. So he didn't get that leader bib in, until the, the, the bitter end there. And I think I saw that as it didn't help. It helps to have people be like, that guy's hammering. And, I mean, people would know that I was hammering no matter what, right? But right. but the, the bright green bib, it's like, that that's good. Because then, you know, I get to the top of Everest and turn around to grab the next person. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. Go hammer. Like, keep hammering. And it's like, all right, cool. And while, you know, that might not be the most camaraderie thing, it's like, I would do the same thing if I saw somebody was really hammering. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Go, go keep flying. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that, that is a bigger advantage than I think people give it credit for. And I also think I have the speed and the, the preference to go ahead and justify being way the heck out front. I like being out front where, you know, Hey, maybe we're only 29 minutes into 25 and a half hours potentially, but all I have to keep doing is what I've already done. I'm, I'm already in front. I'm doing the thing. And, you know, the, the best runners in the world, the, the Raramuri in, in Copper Canyon, and I've gone down there and run with them, and the, the, the you know, elite Northeast African runners, and I've run with plenty of them, they all do the same thing. Like, they'll look you in the face and get a half step on you. Be like, I'm just going to stay here, because as long as I stay here, I'm winning and you're losing, period, and that's it. Right. <laughs> it's like, so I think there's, there's something empowering to being out front and controlling the race. The second aspect of that, is I knew Josh and DJ have a lot of experience out here. And I was like, maybe I can just pull out a bunch of people with me and just shatter this field open. And, you know, maybe I'll get shattered and right. maybe Josh will get shattered, but DJ won't. DJ will go Terminator mode and will do exactly what he's supposed to do and take care of himself. He did. And, <laughs> and, and hurt as much or as little as he needs to, but it, it won't, it won't affect him at all. It won't penetrate his consciousness. So I was like, I'll just eat everyone's lunch. <laughs> and if it's my own too, so be it. And then we'll just see what happens Tour de France, baby. Just, right. You know, only one person scores. And so I, I had no fear about that. And that's why it was like, let's not wear a watch. Let's just play. Like, let's race like we like we raced when we were six years old. You know, let's, let's go 100%, throw myself over things, and not worry about <laughs> if if a penalty is worth it or if an obstacle's if an obstacle's taking too much time or strain out of me. Let's just go play. And, you know, that, that might not be historically the best way to handle a, an event that long, but it was, it was what I wanted to do. And, and I think I proved to myself, and I wasn't sure about this, that it is a viable approach. And with that in mind, I really wasn't, I knew I would be somewhere around three and a half hours. It, it's funny. I haven't looked at the 50 mile split yet. So I'm happy to hear that it's there. I was smiling when you were talking about it. Cause I, I put in my journal, 750 will probably be a little faster through 50 miles and that's not even seeing the course that was like three or four days out right and so that's you know i just i jotted that down i've done this a few times right like i've i've run a few miles in my life 
And so I said that's what it would be, and that's really, really close to what it was. I mean, to not have a watch and blindly do less than 10 minutes off, off what I said it would be, that's, that's something. And so I can trust that intuition. I can trust that feel. And lap one wasn't too hot, I don't think, but lap two did not need to be. I mean, it was 102 through two laps. That's that's too freaking fast. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's recklessly fast. It was the plan was to settle into all day pace as quick as I could, and I told myself a bunch of times during that lap, like, "Calm down, you're fine. Just like like settle into all day pace." And it's like, ah, screw that. Like this lap's easier than it will be later anyway. Let's go. <laughs> make hay while the sun's shining. Yeah. So, I mean, and so do you think? That if you would have had a watched and would have been able to manage your pacing, do you think that, you know, maybe you would have had like, you would have maybe been able to pace better and finish to the end? I mean, I know you said you were balls out and you wanted to get to, say, 125 miles, but I just, if, if you would have had the better gear, you know, or prepared, you know, with a wetsuit and had a watch and had a more, like, breakdown plan, I'm going to run this lap at this pace, this lap at this pace, do you think you would have been able to hit your goal of, say, 125? Yeah, probably. I, I think even even as fast as I was going, I didn't need to go that fast to hit 125. Right. Not even close. You know, you don't need, like, seven 740-something through 50. What is that, like, six six? Even if you slow down a little bit, you're looking at, like, with obstacles, yeah. 18, 19 hours through, through 100 seven, miles. I, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at a very, very quick 125 still. Right. So I think part of it is it, it really it wasn't. So I had a wetsuit out there. I mean, that's that's one thing to to, to unpack here right. is that I I was I need a wetsuit top, like maybe with thummies or a hood, but it's like just a top that I could throw on instead of the the whole layering thing I was going for with like wind panels and everything and. That idea was a good idea. It was worth trying out, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It wasn't right. I, I I also underestimated how much the wetsuit would help me because one of the sessions that I did beforehand was I got in the Animus River at home, forty something degrees, got nice and cold and disoriented to where I couldn't even put the wetsuit on myself without not even help without someone putting it on my body. Right. And and then tried to jog myself warm, and it was windy and rainy and forty degrees or something. And I couldn't. And so I I imprinted on that more than I should have, that I could not get warm in a wetsuit. Yeah. And when I did finally put it on, even though I had let myself get cold at that point, I was instantly warm and was fine. But the damage was already done because it right. wasn't that I got cold and disoriented. It's that I got way colder than you should let yourself get. Like, my hands didn't work quite as well. It was, like, optimal performance state cold, not optimal world stuff as mud or cold. And so I wasn't like, this is too cold and it's a problem and I have to quit. It was like, wow, that was a, that was four hours of straining or three hours of straining just just to not die in the cold right. by the time that I really started started putting that on. So I was I was coming in and the second I slowed down a little bit in the in the pit right. to throw on an extra layer, I was they'd grab the layer that I wanted and I was already disoriented. Right. I was already almost unable to put the layer on myself. And then I'd put it back on and prance on out of the pit and i feel great I, like i i got just that little bit extra warmer and was set and so i was willing to take the time to grab the gear i was willing to, to put on the stuff it's just i didn't have all the right gear and of course a lot of people said oh well just go ahead and you know pick up two wetsuits or three wetsuits or like you really want like this this you want a top and you want to you want a swim cap and you want all this stuff and i'm like you guys 
I live on zero dollars. Right. And yeah. It's like I'm I'm doing the thing. Like I got the stuff. I reach out to Xero. They've been great to me. But it's like I can't I can't acquire you know forty five hundred dollars retail worth of gear for this sport that I've never done before. Like that I'm that I'm kind of just like sticking a toe into as somebody who has obligations to do another end of sport. And so it it was. It was a very a financial sleight of hand and just a cool trick for me to try to pull this off. Right. But the that was the biggest lesson learned is like you want to get a little cold for a hundred miler because then you sweat less. You have to drink less. It's great. You want to get even colder for a fifty miler because it's only five hours. Just get uncomfortable. Be freezing cold. You know, on the roads at least. Be freezing cold. You you you'll drink less. Your heart rate will be lower. You you'll feel great. You'll 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 do less muscular damage. It's it's a panacea for performance. It's a, to be a little bit cold. You know, by the time you get down to the 5K, you'll see track athletes with ice vests on the start line after their warm-up or, or with signs of frostbite or shivering or whatever because they've, they've done something to drop their core temperature down. And that's a brilliant way to increase performance. And so I just wasn't quite calibrated to the idea that you cannot get cold at all. Like the second you right. get any kind of shiver or any kind of aversion to the water, you're cooked. And then the other end of that was I did a lot of cold training. So like, I wasn't as averse to the water as I normally would be. It's normally it's like, I don't want to be cold. Give me the layer. This time I was like, man, I feel great. I'm immune to the cold. This feels awesome, <laughs> which is fine for 30 minutes, but not for three hours. Right. So when the body started seizing up, it was already depleted. It was already kind of game over. And then I started getting a little bit of compensation. And then it was just like, all right, what are you doing out here? And I was also, you know, my, my pit was great. Um, you know, she, she looked at me and said like, well, just get on your wetsuit and take a lap with DJ. And I was like, no, he's probably, he's putting in one hour naps still. Like, and I didn't say that. And I wish I would have, cause then she would have corrected me. But he, like, I thought he was still crushing out there. And so, you know, he was crushing, but it's like, he was crushing relative to the course. I didn't realize how much everyone else had slowed down as well. Right. And so had I realized that, you know, a 125 lap with my, with one of my best friends in the world would have, would have put me right. I don't know what would have happened. Maybe I could have rallied for that and just lied to myself and, taking a hundred milligrams of caffeine and another 200 calories and just like got a lap in with the wetsuit. If that would have shaken me out of it. Cause I wasn't hopeless. Like I was able to sit there and over drink and over salt and overeat. And I ate a little keto brick, which we're all known for at this point around the house. They're, I joke they're like cigarettes in prison for our right. cult here. Like keto bricks are like the ultimate currency. Like I crushed a little keto brick hmm. and I wanted to check all the boxes and say, was I hungry? No, was I underfed? No, I had all the salt. I had all. I was stimulated. I was mentally in the game. I was. And it was just. It was all these little things, and it was just too, too much for that sustained amount of time. And that by the time that it went wrong, it just. It wasn't. It, it, it felt irreparable. And the more I unpack it and look at it and analyze it all, maybe I'll find something else. But I feel like it really was as simple as just having being more preventative about about the cold. And that's a, that's not knowledge. You know, that's what I was saying at the, at the award ceremony when we were talking, it's like, that's not knowledge. People told me that and I heard it and I listened to it and I took it to heart. It's wisdom. You have to, to, you have to go there and experience what that feels like and to calibrate your own perception of this is too cold. This is too warm. This is too whatever. So I think it's, it's, it, that that's the learning. That's the learning that happened. I've heard stories of people that think that they, trained too much heat acclimation before the Badwater 135, which is the hottest race in the world, probably. Right. And that seemed odd to me. And it kind of makes sense because you get 
to the point where you don't even register the heat anymore. You're like, this ain't hot. I've seen hot. I'll show you hot. And so then you don't take care of yourself, and then you end up screwed. And I think I did a little bit of that. Had I done no cold acclimation, I'd have been my default pansy self, and I'd have had every layer I had on from from the second the sun set instead, and that would have put me a lot, a lot further down the road. But, you know, I feel exactly what you're saying because it's, you're right. You, Even though I hate running cold races, I feel like I run better in the cold. Like I usually can put up faster times in the cold. And, but when you came into the pit, it didn't matter if you were in there five minutes or three minutes. If you went to your pit and stopped, you got cold and it took a mile to warm back up. And every time I left Blockness, I made an effort to run faster all the way to the pit to warm up because I knew you were going to hit that windy section. And because the wind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. And, uh, so, and it was like you, and like you said, I, I knew that I could keep going, but once you got cold, I, I, I was going off of what everybody said, too. Once you got cold, it was harder to get back warmed up. And once I got into, I had a spring suit, I got it on. But even that, my buddy's ankle messed up on him like a couple of miles before we finished the lap. So I walked with him to help him finish that lap. And just me walking that two miles, even in the wetsuit, I got cold. But I was able to run hard on the next lap and warm back up. So it's it's nice. one of those things where we were just getting wet too frequently. If you didn't have the right gear, you it was going to hit you. It was just a matter of time if you didn't have the right gear. You know. Yeah, for sure. And that was the thing. It's like I'd add an extra. You know, I added the extra windbreaker onto it, and then and then left before I had the wetsuit on, and then left. And it was just enough that I stopped, got disoriented, could barely put the thing on myself, got the thing on with my with my crew, and left. And it was quick, you know, ninety seconds or whatever. And I was, I was right back fine. I was like, oh, okay, we'll make it through another lap. We'll make it through a few laps. This is great. It's still working. And then I'd come back in and be a little cold and put one more layer on and be like, every time it was the same thing. And I wasn't getting to that point where it was like I got cold and could not warm back up. I just I spent a long time almost at that point. And so that was, yeah, man, some tantric cold exposure right here. Right. And <laughs> I heard you say you were uh, eating, like, those those keto bricks, but is that what you were fueling with? Were you staying keto for fueling? No, no, not no. at all. Okay. No, I was doing gluten-free stroop waffles and um, Morton, and I, I was doing some ketone esters to keep the glucose stable. Right. And, yeah, man, those are those are heavy-hitting. We use we use ketonate the KE four the like beefy beefy ketone esters at the house right and we will spike every bit of straight sugar that we use and then I did a little bit of maple syrup just in warm water mm-hmm. so I, it was a it was a broad variety of things and for for me you know I've I've never eaten as much as I did out there and I did nothing nothing the first lap I didn't pick up anything at the end of the first lap and then the second lap I picked up a water bottle and a, a windbreaker and then gave that windbreaker up the next lap so i i mean i was ahead on calories relative to any race i've ever run but you know races that have gone well races that have gone poor thinking that yeah i'm gonna need this this is this is the extra bit but it's a drop in the bucket for right. an extra thousand calories an hour that you're burning to try to stay warm right so, like, as the obstacles were open up and you realized the ones that you could do easy or the ones that had easy penalties, like, what did your strategy look like 
as the obstacles were opening up? I just I I had found my all day pace as the obstacles were opening up or or just before right and so I felt like I was absolutely walking at whatever pace it was and I haven't looked at the splits yet I'm looking forward to it but I felt like I was absolutely walking so there was one period where somewhere around mile I don't know forty or forty five or something where I they they told me I was thirteen minutes behind getting the lap DJ or 14 minutes, and then I came back around, and it was the same, and then I came back around, and I had made up, like, a minute, and I was like, oh, okay, we're all, we're both settled into the same, like, all-day grind pace. Right. And so, that was encouraging. At that point, I was like, all right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just throw these bands and reel them back in, mm-hmm. and then, and then we'll be together for a little bit, because that was ultimately the plan, was try to, try to get a lap, or two even, depending on how conservative you went out, and just have bro time until something went wrong for, for somebody or something went right for somebody and that would get us through the night we can we can call each other and keep it honest and help each other over stuff so that it was real real close to that happening mm. but as everything opened I, I tried to just make the running real you know a, a little easier than it was which that was kind of no matter what you do it's not like you're going to make a bunch of time right so the and then just have fun with the obstacle stay engaged i was I was failing stuff. Like I failed foot spinner almost every time. I think, I mean, I passed, I did pass it a few times. <laughs> like I failed it way more than I, than I passed it. And that's something that's almost identical to whatever they call it in normal, like in, in infinities. Right. And I was four for four in Seattle and four for four in Dallas. I've never failed that obstacle, mm. but the geometry of it was so much higher, like the reach and the, the like, yeah, the, the PVC was elevated and the bell was so freaking high up there for yeah. my, for my five, seven self. And it was a it was a challenge, but yeah. I just I smiled through everything. I I had been programming like into my brain, into my headspace that you just laugh it off and you fail something and you you smile at the water and you you just get weird about it out there. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about Thich Nhat Han stuff of of just like smiling and being happy and greeting the water and, and just being fresh like a child and just a little yeah. a little flower in my in my heart here and just just like getting weird and just having fun enjoying I mean, I the was, playground i right? was enjoying the penalties yeah just just having fun outside of the bouncy ball right once yeah. i realized how gnarly that was until they shortened it at least i well, I, I only got it in the long way yeah was, that was me it was it was crazy and so that 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 was not enjoyable and then i found out that no one was passing chunky monkey anyway so yeah. it was like all right well now what do i do with this I, I got close I was, the first time, and then the fall, I made it, like, all the way to the monkey bars, and I was just pumped out coming down the monkey bars, and they were already wet, too, and I slipped off, and it was such a long drop into the water, you just went so deep, and I was like, that was probably my best shot at making that obstacle, and I didn't make it, so I might as well just take the penalty the rest of the night. And then in the morning time, I was using my bands to skip that one and skip cage crawl. <laughs> oh shoot, man! I was—I I really enjoy cage crawl or the breath eater and the modified. I really enjoy that because I am so averse to water, right? And the ocean and everything to do with everything to do with water. I am such a desert, a desert dweller, man. I want to just be dry and bacon in the sun. I have no interest in water and cold and none of that shit. And so I have a lot of fun doing that because it's such a, it's such a microdose, you know, it's such a, um, like systematic desensitization dose yeah. of just like, here, you don't like the idea of drowning. So here you can just kind of play <laughs> with it. 
in, in the morning, I was just tired of feeling that water go down my back. When you laid on your back, it would just go down behind your back, and that just instantly got me cold. And I said, I've got the extra bands. I'm going to use them here. And then, because to me, like, Blockness Monster just seemed to have the warmest pit water than all of them. I don't know if it's because you were, you know, working so hard while you were in that water, but to me, it had the warmest water all night long, so I didn't mind getting it in at all. <laughs> right on. So yeah, um, warmer at, at least it's at least warm relative to the to everything else. But there's no way it was as warm as the actual lake, huh? That uh, lake felt great. <laughs> yeah, it did. But I was happy when that we went to Statue of Liberty. That I had. That was another plan that seemed to to I guess hold water, haha. But it's like that's another plan that I had that that seemed valid at the time and was completely ridiculous. Was I was like, I'll use a band to skip chill pickle, and then I don't need my wetsuit because I'm not getting into the ice water. Right. <laughs> uh, one less water obstacle, and it's not cold water. But it doesn't matter. Even that lake that was probably 70-degree water and felt great when it was way warmer than the air temperature. Right. But then you get out, and 90 seconds later, you're just soaking wet and naked. Like, it doesn't matter what what yeah. the water temperature was. is of no consequence at all. And in my head, it was. And so that was another thing that... I'm not going to learn that until I go do it. You got to go do it and screw it up. And then, then you learn. Right. I think we were lucky because most of the water temps and all the obstacles were definitely warmer than the temperature. So we got lucky there that this cold front front hasn't been here for like a week before we started the race. It come in that day. So that was one lucky thing we got out of the weather <laughs> for sure. So, what penalty did you hate the most at all the obstacles? Oh, the bouncy ball, for sure. Like, the, the kid's bouncy was murderous. But if you compare it, it has to be as hard or harder than the obstacle, right? Otherwise, you would yeah. just skip the obstacle. So with how difficult Chunky Monkey was, I definitely don't fault that penalty at all. I wouldn't say that I you know, despised it or resented it. I just, man, that is a savage thing. It makes me think that if I end up with, with a kid or two, I'm gonna have one of those bouncy balls around the house because man, that's a fucking workout. <laughs> like, and they, at least traveling any amount of ground on the thing. That's I don't I don't remember those being difficult. I remember those being fun. Exactly. And yet on that first penalty with everyone else stacked in there, it was like summoning Everest, and people were taking one or two steps and then just eh, 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 <laughs> taking another step or two. It was it was ridiculous. But the and the bouncy balls too. It's like they weren't good quality bouncy balls. They were cheap. They were thin. Like I had a Mickey Mouse one back in the day, and it was like hard rubber. <laughs> like it had return when you bounced on it. These things just absorbed the fucking earth. Like they didn't bounce worth a shit. Oh. <laughs> well, they were quality enough to not pop. I kind of figured everyone would get on there, and all these all these three hundred pound bodies would bounce on them, and they would just be popped, and then they would have to give us burpees or something instead dude i totally called that we were all running together and i'd be like man i ain't worried about those things those things will all be popped before the morning and there was like maybe two that deflated (laughs) yeah yeah they they hung in there yeah so out of all those obstacles which obstacle do you hate the most or dislike Hmm. i don't know man i don't think i have an answer I think I think I earnestly enjoyed everything, even the stuff that was that, that was entirely laughably impossible for me. It was just it was cool. I think the the only thing that got into my head about the obstacles, pass or fail, was 
the thought that everyone else was passing them and that I was the only joker out there not passing them. Right. And like, I know Josh could pass chunky monkey. Like he could definitely do this. And it's like, I played, I played around in the gym plenty with DJ. I'm like, DJ's definitely passing. He'll pass foot center every time. First time through it'll, it'll, it'll go through smoothly. And then you hear everybody's battle stories about doing the penalties. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not the only person failing these out here. And that, that was just naivety. And, uh, it was one more thing that would have benefited me a lot to have to have caught somebody that I know well and and had a lap in there to see what a normal elite you know person who's competing for the win would look like because it was the only thing that got into my head was feeling like I was the only person that was out there who's contending and also doing penalties right but i I had so much fun man i I mean like I said I, I would do foot spinner and fail it and just get back up there and try it again and for competition's sake, that's not how you do it. You just take the penalty. Plus, the penalty wasn't that bad. Not right. for me. I can I can add on an extra hundred meters of two by fours on my feet. That doesn't. <laughs> that's not going to let anybody catch me. You know, that doesn't even. That was I was using that to fuel. I was drinking and eating on that, so it was great. It was it was emptying out the waste pack, and I took out water lighter and well fed, and that 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 would have been worth it to just kind of take the hit and slap right. the obstacle and go do that. But I was I was. I was gaining wisdom, you know, I was gaining experience out there and that took precedence over just outright competing. So 2023, if you do this race again, what do you think your strat, how do you think your strategy might change? I mean, besides gear, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would still like the sprint lap. I'm not going to take over the lead on the sprint lap until like mile two or three. Play it kind of smart. So like I think ultra probably, yeah, yeah. Only run as hard as I need to. Right. Not to not to like break it all open that quick. But no promises on that. You know, if somebody <laughs> if somebody steps to me and I'm feeling spicy, then I'm gonna throw down. And but definitely that take that second lap much more mellow. And if somebody reels me back in, then that's my person. We'll hang out. We'll hang out for six hours or eight hours, and, and that's a huge benefit to both of us. And then we can gap the field together. Yeah. So that would be that would be something that I would change immediately. And besides that, it's, it's, it really is purely just having the right things on the sidelines. I think I made a lot of the right decisions. I just didn't have the right thing to do that with. I ate enough. I drank enough. I took care of myself. I wasn't in a rush. I had so much fun. I mean, a a lot of people gave me the same feedback, which is, you know, the other people competing, like they don't, they don't like, say nice things to us <laughs> like and like smile when you're going over obstacles. And I'm like, yeah, they're not fun. And so, you know, something like that, I'm not changing that for anybody. I'm not changing that for, for $10,000 any day. Oh yeah, man. Once it got kind of thinned out, man, I was talking to everybody that in passing, you know, but I mean, I wasn't out there, you know, trying to win it or nothing either, man. I was just out there trying to get my 50 miles, you know, and just kind of experience. I mean, 50 miles was like a second goal. I really just wanted to kind of go out there and experience and just learn what this event was all about. Cause it was my first time as well. So, um, how proud of you or how proud are you of DJ, you know, your training partner that you've been having up there, you know, at your combine, you know, that you've been training with, how proud were you of him to actually take the win at this race, man? That had to be pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, pride, pride's an odd one. I think it's, I mean, I cried, I cried at the start line, you know, like I cried just, <laughs> just to make it there. It was like, dude, I love you, man. I love this life that we're, that we're on. And, 
and that we can we can do at least for the foreseen future if not the foreseeable future and it's it's real and it's it's i don't know it's beneficial i guess it's not it's not detrimental at least and it what we're doing is is something beautiful and there's there's something so cool to that and then you know I, i was tracking him when i was out of the game and I figured he'd go flying past me when I walked that last lap just to be an official finisher at like 11 a.m. or whatever it was once the weather got nice yeah and I figured he'd pass me and I was like rushing out of the pit because I I didn't want him to pass me that quick (laughs) and I kept looking back at every obstacle and he never he never reeled back in and then I got a little worried but at least nobody else passed me and so I didn't really know what to think then then getting back to the pit he had the last I heard he was in third and then he crossed the finish line, and they said, they said you're champion. I found out with the rest of the world. Sweet. And I kind of just, like, acted like that wasn't the case with everybody around me. But <laughs> I didn't know. I had no way of knowing. I'd been gone for two hours or three hours or whatever it takes to just, like, walk that, that course casually. So it was, man, it was heavy, dude, just, just seeing his face. But I was also, it was tempered by how not surprised I was. It's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I kind of, like. I don't know. It, it cost me a few of my tears and goosebumps to to be so unsurprised. While I was moved, I wasn't moved by being like, "Oh my God, he's a world champion." It's like, yeah, no shit, he is. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's all he's talked about for the last year. He's a he's a savage of a human being. He's a, he's a beautiful like friend and significant other and housemate, and he's just a beautiful freaking human, right? And it's so yeah, it's like the good guys won. Not that anybody's a dick out there, but it's like. He's one of the he's one of the best people that you could possibly ask for on every on every front, and he's I can't imagine a better ambassador for the sport, and so I'm I'm proud to have some small role in that in his success, but it's been tempered by how not surprised I am right. that that he got it because like dude nobody's gonna beat that dude like on the day, and somebody had said it last week that. Well, something about, like, winning. And it's like, well, yeah, winning's fine. It's like, I want that 125 more than I want to win. If I wanted to win, I would just, like, sit on DJ's shoulder or something and, <laughs> and, and try to just beat him. Because as far as I'm concerned, he's the only person in this field that can actually hold his shit together. And it's like, I know Mark Gaudet's a freaking powerhouse, too, but I don't know that like I know DJ is. Right. But I've seen him train. You know, we went step for step for 80, 90 miles more a week together. So yeah. it's like, that's... That developed some serious confidence, and I looked at him in the face a bunch of times and said, you know, both when we did obstacle work together, I'd say, is this enough? Like, is this, I'm scared, dude. Like, is, is this enough? Is this going to do me right? Is, is this, am, I, am I looking at co- enough competency here? And for the preceding two weeks, and then after that, it was still like, we finished a workout and said, dude, this is, this is the thing. You know, this is world championship. Like, this, nobody can touch the level of specificity that you're putting in to train for this people could train harder but you can't train smarter you can't train better you can't train more optimally than what you just did and so i i tried to to stay in his ear and i'm it's not i'm it's not clear to me if that does him any good at all but i'm like man you know you don't know running like i know running and i freaking know running and i'm telling you you're a monster this is the thing this is world championship right here so it was it was everything man the, the whole the whole race was was everything yeah, and his hair looked really fucking cool too. I was like, "Fuck, his hair's cooler than mine this time." Dude, I appreciate it, man. We we brought a professional. We got a, <laughs> we got a woman that that takes it as takes hair as seriously as we take running, and 
she did my hair and did, did like everybody's hair in the house and, and took took care of us all and said, you're missing out on a, on a marketing opportunity anyway. And I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. Like, cause it's helpful being a, being a pretty blonde boy. Cause then people <laughs> recognize you when you're lapping them and they're more apt to be like, yeah, man, come on over, join our crew. Cause you know, we'll, we'll help, we'll throw you over this obstacle or whatever. And then even then, you know, if you help them, they remember it instead of just some anonymous human being out there. And if, if you if you help that dude, you remember that too, and everybody gets warm fuzzies. And so it's there's something to the like branding, but man, we were we were ferocious as fuck, man. That start line, those start line shots, we were we were there for blood. We were not screwing around. That had we're to Vikings, be awesome. Pressed off the longboat. I know that felt good to you. You know, this being your first time doing this race, and then you had you know friends on the line with you, DJ and Josh here with you. That had to you had to feel comfortable in. Un, you know, an unknown environment. So I'm sure that was super cool to be up there like that. Yeah, I mean, they gave me the power to do it, both both to do it how I wanted to do it, which is reckless as hell, <laughs> and to to feel like I could make an impulse decision and do this. And even though I'm, you know, failing on set the Frenchies or something, or like doing something where it's clear that I am out of my element, to to have those dudes around you, it's it's everything. It's how. It's how you do things beyond yourself is to have a team of people that would never lie to you and would look you in the face and, and appraise what you're putting in and tell you if you're if you're onto something or if you're totally lost. Right. All right, Anthony, man, I gotta ask you a hard question here. Um we were standing there at the brunch and you were telling us about how you pissed in your bleg mitts and you said somebody told you to do this as a strategy I'm wondering who gave you this advice because I think they were fucking with you. <laughs> oh, dude. No, nobody did. God did. I, like, came up with it while I was out there. <laughs> I must have I miscommunicated on my part. Oh, no, I thought like you your, said somebody told you to your, do it. It was good. It, glabrous, glabrous skin, your, your hands, your feet, and your face. Right. The things like a monkey would still have free are where you get these these arterial venous ostomoses. You have these, these sections where you're... you're your blood that's going away from your heart and your blood's going to your heart just goes right through these sections. Right. And it doesn't end in a capillary. And so your your hands, your feet, and your face can warm you up real good. And so at some point in, in Dallas, when it was real cold, I was pissing on my hands to clear <laughs> all the shit off of them and to warm myself up. And I realized how well it worked. And so I just flipped the blagnet and cupped my junk and just pissed into the thing. <laughs> and, oh, man, it, like, warms you from the inside out. It's money. It's like a hand warmer. <laughs> That's a great story, man, and I appreciate you shaking our hands after you told it to us at the brunch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, we're getting on an hour here, but every time I have a guest on, I always ask them the three three same questions, everybody I bring on here, man. I'm going to ask you two. So to this day, out of all the races you've raced, and it doesn't matter what it's been, what has been your most favorite race and why? Mad City 100K in 2018 when I, I I got my auto entry for Team USA so external goal you know checked off it feels good and I was the 50 mile national champ and I beat the current 50k national champ and the previous year's 100k national champ you know they 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 both finally succumbed to the to the volume and the mileage while we were out there and so we split that all together and I. I 
you know, kept my shit together while competing and, and took, you know, kept the voice out of my head entirely. Like I, I, and, and not just positive or negative, like anything, like no, nothing at all. And so what that led into was like a four or five hour period of zero internal dialogue. I mean, none. I was just perfect flow state of just, you'd look at the watch and it would split and it would be 608 or 615 or whatever, whatever it was. And I would respond to that time without thought. And I, I had zero internal dialogue whatsoever for hours and hours and hours. And it was one of those things that it was, it was a transcendental flow state experience. And it, it changed the way that I view myself and the sport and all of it. And yeah, I mean, I, I have events outside of racing that have been, that have topped that, but that is by far, if, if I can get that one more time before I'm done running, then everything else is, it, it's okay. Win, lose, draw, drop out, whatever. Everything else is just to practice and do that again. Hmm. So it was the perfect day, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So now I want the reverse of that. What race did you despise the most, hate the most, dislike the most, and why? Man, one, I'm not sure what year, because trauma is slippery for my brain, but mm-hmm. it's certainly one of my JFK years. I mean, I've I've gone to that race six times. I've finished it three times, and I've dropped out three times, and it's Shit. the most stacked 50-mile race in the world. And it's like, I finished second, I finished third, I finished fourth. It's like, if I can't finish fifth or first, I'm not interested in finishing, you know? And, and really, I want to run a fast time. I don't really care about the place, but I want to run a fast freaking time out there. And I have an idea, and I've let myself have that race to say, I know what's possible and I want to do it. And that's made it crushing to just to have kind of an okay day and then be giving myself the feedback that, you know, it's not about the race. It's about running the time that you want to run. And then you see later on that the winner is is all over the place or sponsored by Nike or Hoka or something livable and that they ran a time 15 minutes slower than I would have been okay with. Right. And it's like that, like that's the only race that I can really think hurt my feelings is, and that's probably my favorite race in the world to, to be clear about JFK, but the only results that I think I've had that really, really hurt my feelings were some of those years at JFK where it's just existential dread in the best possible way of like, I've given you everything, JFK. <laughs> I've given you my life for, for 12 weeks. Just give me my five and a half hour finish. <laughs> give me a 525. Like, I just want to run my 525. I, I, I will give you anything else that I can give you. Just tell me what you need. And then to just not get it and then just come back the next year. Maybe you get a little closer or maybe you don't. And then just come back and come back and come back. It's like, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to be happy I did. But God damn, did it hurt my feelings <laughs> on the front end a few times. So... I know a little bit about the JFK. I know it, you run half of it on the pavement and isn't half of it on the Appalachian. Is that right? Yeah, you get, it's probably like 13 or 14 of the first 16 miles are on the Appalachian trail and it's gnarly. There might be snow, there might be a foot of leaves on it. It might be clear, right? but either way it's gnarly, gnarly single track. And the rest of that first 16 miles is paved sections in between the trail. And it might be like 13 of the, or 12 or 13 of the first six, because there is a little more pavement in the middle there, I'm remembering. But it's honest, honest trail running. But then at mile 16, a lot of people will change shoes, because you can then change into alpha flies, and you're 
to your towpath, so your pancake flat gravel for the next just over a marathon, and then you're rolling beautiful Americana County roads paved to get back into town. And so it's a perfect it's a perfect play in three acts, right? It's like you gotta right. have you gotta have everything. And people have proven that you can overcome whatever you have or don't have with a ridiculous amount of talent that's getting into the ultra running world or that has been for the last decade. But it's for a guy like me, it's so appealing because I've showed up with all the road seed in the world and just gotten wrecked by the trail. Right. And I've showed up with a lot of trail chops and just not had road speed. It's, it's just such a hard thing mm. to kind of titrate each skill that I need to have and put in the work that I'm, I'm addicted, man. Did you change shoes when you did it? I did the last time that I did it. I've tried to just go minimal shoes historically, go as minimal as the course would let me go. That seems honest with myself and the course and, and kind of my hippie, you know, connection. But the reality is with, with super shoes, you're actively at a disadvantage if you're not using a proper carbon fiber shoe with pods and P-backs and, and all the fancy bells and whistles. Right. And so that means you really, you need to be in a trail shoe on the first end or you're going to end up wrecked. Right. And so the word, the gone, gone is the era where you can opt out of a super shoe at JFK, I think. Right. Okay, man. So my last question is, is what is your like race routine? What do you do on Friday before the race? What are you eating? Are you stretching? Are you doing a warm-up run? And then that morning before the race, what's your routine? Like, what do you eat? You know, what are you taking? Like, supplement-wise, what's your secrets to be as badass as you are besides being a gifted runner? (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, I I would encourage, you know, plug myself here. Follow me on Instagram. And I'm, I'm pretty public about everything that I do. I noticed that. I, I don't endorse anything that I don't actually believe in. And so you can take that shit to the bank. I mean, I don't, um, um, my, my soul is too expensive for anybody to afford. And, and the, the peanuts in this game are not worth selling out to anybody for as far as I'm concerned. So I, there, there's a few, a few key subs that I love. I cannot possibly recommend Wookieo enough. It's what I'm on. It's what DJ's on. It's what Josh is on. It's what we're all playing with. There's a there's a product called Apex, and it's a nootropic stack, and it is earnestly a limitless pill. And it's NFS. It's cleared for sport. You're, it's not. It, it is drugs, but it's not drugs, right? right. And it's freaking awesome. I mean, it's almost to the point where I don't want to talk about it because it's that good. I'm like, you know, <laughs> if we had given if we had given the competition a little bit of help with that, maybe they would have they would have threatened us all a little bit more than they did. So it's. I cannot possibly hype that stuff up enough, and it's you know it's a fifteen hour effective life, so that's a good that's a good sup for something like that. That's a pre race. I would be terrified to race without it at this point in my life, and there's very few things that that are like that. So that's that's my race morning. I don't do breakfast. I may or may not do a heavy or a light hit of caffeine for a race that long, but I I never do breakfast. Um, so you go in fasted. I'd rather be empty. I'd rather be empty and light and just stack a bunch of subs than I would be, you know, bloated in the head on calories. Right. And that's, that's never been a problem as far as I'm, as far as I can tell. So that's, that's always done me right. I do a crap ton of carbs the night before and the day before I, I call it gluten-free junk food. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever low fiber stuff that's not going to leave me pooping in the woods. Right. And 48 to 72 hours out from a, an A race, I'll do like a massive salad and a, a three fiber supplement 
and I'll stack basically everything that I possibly can to just bulk my, my GI tract up and pass everything that I can. And then I will go zero fiber from somewhere around, you know, 60 hours out until the race. Mm-hmm. And so I will typically have some half-hearted pre-race poop. And then like, I didn't poop during the race. I didn't, I tried to before I put the wetsuit on unsuccessfully just to make sure. <laughs> and then I didn't poop after the race and I didn't poop the entire next day until like dinner, I think, or maybe even the following morning. Like you're, you're just, you're loading everything up to get your GI tract moving and then you, you cut it off and then you end up with nothing in there and you feel a little lighter and a little better and, and it, it feels nice, but also you, you're guaranteed to not have to poop. Cause it's like, you know, during a hundred K you might lose contact or during right. a marathon, if you lose 30 seconds and your rhythm, that's it. You're done. You're racing yeah. over. You should just walk back to your car and race the next weekend. So you can't afford that. And in a race this long, it's real nice. And I have to spend an extra five minutes negotiating with my wetsuit just to try to poop or an extra 10 minutes or 15 minutes later in the race. Who knows? So that's, that's a good hack that I, that I mastered at this point that I, I think is worth emulating and playing with, but that's, that's about it. I mean, I, I run, I ran the day before, just easy, whatever it was, easy two-mile shakeout. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty standard thing for me. And, yeah, I mean, I, simple, simple. I don't stretch. I don't try to slam any extra fluid or anything. I I might occasionally try to nap, but I'm a pretty, a pretty, I don't know, stable person, I guess, right. at least on the sleep front. And so I'm just happy to get to get the same amount beforehand, but it's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely get in there with a fine tooth comb and try to refine it all. But then in the end of the day, it's it's shakeout run, fiber load, fiber deplete. I might do something to help me sleep, but it's not going to be anything that's going to risk making me groggy. Right. I, I've used a lot of sand land historically. That they're a CBN, so mm-hmm. kind of it's a cannabinoid. They're a CBN based sleep sup, and I can do this tiny little minuscule amount of it, uh, half of a fall asleep formula. And that's like a two or three hour effective life. So it's out of my system immediately. It just helps me fall asleep. And I'll throw on an audio book and sit in a dark room, take one of those, boom, gone. So that's also like I'm grizzled and wise at this point. You know, <laughs> I can regulate the nerves much better than I used to be able to. Because you've done and so that, much. that helps with all those things. So you, you intrigued another question. Um, when you get up for these races and you're fasted, my next question would be, when do you hit like your first calories, like if you're doing an ultra event, 50K, whatever, are you like maybe hit a jail 30 minutes in, 45 minutes in? And what's your, like, what is your fueling routine for just say like a 50K trail race? I guess it depends on how gnarly it is. If it's, if I'm going to be out there for a long time, then I would like to say that I'll fuel more, but I, I never fuel as much as I say that I will or say right. that I did or <laughs> any of it. If I can average 100 calories an hour, that's a huge success for me. Right. So in my normal day-to-day life, I do a lot of very, very low-carb stuff, and that's that's my default. That keeps inflammation low, keeps my sleep better, and it, it helps a ton. And so I I usually wait at least an hour. It, it's 60 minutes to 90 minutes before I take in anything at all, and mm-hmm. that'll be some kind of simple fluid, you know, water, salt, Morton, what have you, and a salt pill or a BCAA pill or something light to go with that. But it's, it's not anything crazy. I mean, I like to keep it simple. I think your day to day life is where you get in all your micronutrients and your valuable food. Your race day is you're, you're going to battle, right? You need, you need caffeine. 
you need sodium and you need sugar and anything beyond that. And you're probably just looking for comfort out of it. So if I need more than that, then I'm questioning how much I actually want to be there or other factors. Just keeping it, keeping it simple. And then there's, there's still plenty of stuff that I mess with. Like I think Lactigo has been huge for me in this training block, which is a product I've used for quite some time. It's, if you're familiar with beta alanine, mm-hmm. it's all the claims for beta alanine, except, you know, beta alanine takes weeks to slowly increase the amount of carnosine in your system. Right. And it might be slightly detrimental to your mitochondria, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas the lactigo is straight transdermal carnosine. So, like, I can put that on at the start line, and about 40 to 60 minutes in, that's getting into my system, and that's just upping the level of carnosine in my system. And this training block has been great because I haven't touched my upper body in years intentionally. So I can just lather that stuff up and go hammer and get after it like that. So that's kind of a sneaky way to have something trickling into my body even when I'm not eating. But I, I, don't, I don't really think you need to eat or drink until you're more than an hour in. That lets the glucose get stable, mm-hmm. lets all your receptors get going, lets your liver open up, lets everything start spinning before you start adding extra ingredients to it. That makes sense. You know, and I've kind of... Like, I did a race here in the summertime, and it was at Killington, and it has a lot of climbing. You know, it's a Spartan Ultra. I'm very familiar with Killington from all these boys. And uh, yeah. so I told myself I'm going to, you know, I, I fueled heavy on the front half, and I think I made, my sick by, I made myself sick by fueling on, heavy on the front half because when I come into transition, I couldn't hold shit down, and then I had to finish the, pretty much the whole rest of the race without fuel, and it sucked. And I, I think that, you know, it, what works for some people where they might can do two to 300 calories every hour, that might not work for me because I'm thinking I'm better around maybe like 100 calories an hour, just like you said, too, and maybe get something like a real food at a transition point for me. So that makes yeah, a lot better sense Yeah, I think it, it does to seem me. to be, as long as you're not tanking and you know you're not going to, it does seem to be like you can add calories later. Whereas you can't, you can't take them away. Right. <laughs> you, that makes sense. It, nobody's talking about overdoing it, and that's probably justified. But at least if you're base calories, if you just do like 200 calories of tailwind every hour on the hour, something really simple and straightforward that you know you can always slam and it's going to put your stomach inside out. Yeah. And then when you want something else, just grab it, grab it and go. And that's, that's I think that's about what I did for this race. And the, the nutrition really was dialed. It was, it was ready to go all day, and it was stable. Sweet. Well, hey, man, I'm out of questions, dude. Is there anything you want to add to this or you want to tell people where they can follow you, man? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they can they can hunt me down on Instagram. That's where they can find our, our snowdown camp, and that's going to be a raging time, man. That's going to be – it'll we'll have holotropic breath work, you know, and the, the sound healing and our trigger point guy who I've lived a privileged, spoiled athlete life. When I say he's the best person that's had hands on me, that means something. And I'll book his time for the day. It costs me about 1200 bucks to put on these camps. So all I need is really one person who says, do you know what the retail on this would be? I'm going to give that to you, and then I'm set. And then all the rest of us can just enjoy the week for free. <laughs> and that, that the next one of those, we'll have Project Mayhem again. That'll be May, mid-May range, I think. And the next one of those that's planned is late January to early February for the Snowdown Camp. And that would be what I would encourage people to, if they could make that work, to get on out to Durango. We'll pick you up from the airport. You can crash with me, and I'll, I'll take care of everything. But I'm, I'm easy to find both on Instagram and 
in real life. I mean, my life is, it's monk mode most of the year. So you can kind of say, ah, in Durango, it's 3.30 p.m. I bet you Anthony's sitting decaf and, and <laughs> writing morning pages or something. <laughs> like, depending on the season, you, you know exactly what I'm doing down to the half hour. So I would encourage people to show up at my doorstep, come train with us, and we're, we're happy to, to share anything that we can possibly find. And hopefully you can share something with us. But that's what I would encourage everybody to do is show up. I, I, I live in an amazing place. I've fought to the – I've almost starved so many times to make this work. And now that I'm here, I'm trying to bring everybody with me. So come have a traincation with us, and the next one's perfect winter in the high desert. Sweet, man. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview, man, and uh, hopefully I'll see you race sometime next year maybe. Yeah, that's the plan, man. Let's, let's see. Let's see what comes out of the woodwork to – finance me for some OCR stuff and, and buy me off of the roads a little bit, hopefully. <laughs> but thanks for your time as well. It's, it's been a good chat. And this is my first chance to kind of unpack any of this stuff. So super stoked. Right on, man. Well, take care, dude. You too. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Anthony again for taking time to talk to us. Super cool guy. Uh, I think me and Corey and Brad were all standing around talking and he he was walking by and we started chatting with him and he was just super cool you know just telling about how his race went and we were telling him how our race went and it was just super cool to connect and uh i encourage you to go and follow him on ig and just check him out um i'll be at the carolina ultra this weekend hope to see everybody out there it's going to be cold it's going to suck but at least the sun's going to be out it's not going to be raining like it was in 2019 knock on wood so hopefully everybody will have a great race. Go get that fancy Honor Series Carolina bulk buckle that everybody's been wanting to get. And uh, that's all I got. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you at next race. Peace.